with his rules and his regulations and, and his smug self-assurance that if everybody just did everything just like he did, that all would be right in the world. He's so funny. And we're just like him. We're just like him. A couple of weeks ago, we started a message series called Some Things Jesus Never Said. And we've discovered that, that we all have some things that we think Jesus said or that we, we think we've heard him say to us or, or things that we tell ourselves that he would say to us if he had the chance. But the problem is that many, if not most, of those things that we think Jesus has said or would say to us are not only things that he never said, they're things that he never would say. If we're going to live free, and we're going to grow strong in our relationship with God, we've got to get out from under the burden of the things that Jesus never said. We've got to let God's truth take the place of the lies that we've believed. We've got to stop believing the things that Jesus didn't say and start believing the things He did. So let me ask you this. What is it about us Christians that turns us into Barney Fife? That turns us into to one bullet having, ticket writing, pompous speech making, spiritual Barney Fifes. What is it about us Christians that turns us into to rule makers? What drives us to, to legislate how other people live out their faith? Why do we feel so different or, or so, so threatened by people who are different? Why are we threatened by how other people worship or how they pray or how they serve or how they behave or even how they believe on certain points? You know, you just take a brief look through the New Testament and you see that there were all kinds of churches. There were, there were different churches that had different practices, different behaviors. More than once, Paul had to address that. In the letters that he wrote to them, he had to, to tell them how to live with each other and respect each other, even though they were very different, widely divergent in how they did things. You know, around here, we like to say it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. So why the finger-pointing? Why the accusation when somebody does something differently than we do? Why do we let the sweet winds of grace be stifled by legalism? We are a people who have trusted a Savior, trusted a Savior who, who loved us even when we were totally messed up. Even when we could not do one right thing. We are a people who have trusted a Savior who promises us freedom and liberty. So why are we so quick to impose rules and regulations on other people? I wonder if you've ever heard or said or been told anything like this. Every one of these things I'm going to say. I have heard or said or been told about either myself or somebody else. Um, I lift my hands in worship. Why don't you? I don't lift my hands in worship, so you shouldn't either. We serve the poor and give away lots of money. 
you should do the same. I would never go see an R-rated movie. You're a bad Christian if you do. We don't dance. Christians just don't do that. And if you do, you're sinning. You shouldn't listen to any secular music, just Christian music. Oh, and you shouldn't listen to Christian music with a certain beat. That's from Satan. If you don't homeschool, you're not a godly parent. If you don't send your kids to public school, you're not a missional Christian and you're abandoning our schools to the secular humanists. Good Christians never drink alcohol. It's wrong for anybody. Christians who smoke shouldn't be allowed in the church. If you use credit cards, you're not a good steward. Oh, I got, I got more. Just hang on. A church that has a $5 million building program is totally selfish and arrogant. They should be giving that money to missions. You're not a stay-at-home mom? How can you call yourself a Christian mother? You can't be a Christian and be a Democrat. You can't be a Christian and be a Republican. You can't be a Christian and be a Ron Paulinista. If you weren't baptized in the right way and for the right reasons, then it didn't count. If you don't exclusively read the King James Version, you're not a faithful Christian. If you don't read the New American Standard Bible, you're not a serious Bible student. We don't have women as deacons and in ministry, and we don't fellowship with churches that do. If you're not a five-point Calvinist, you're not a thinking Christian. If you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you speak in tongues, you've got a demon. Christian musicians who cross over and do rock, pop, or country have sold out to consumerism and abandoned their faith. It's really disheartening to hear all the, the mean-spirited, judgmental criticism that Christians direct toward other Christians simply because they don't practice or behave or believe exactly the way we do. I, I listen to all kinds of music, okay? This is just one of those things. God already knows what I'm thinking. I might as well tell you. All right? I listen to all kinds of rock music. I, 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 like, um, I like jazz. I like blues. I like bluegrass. Um, I even like some hip-hop. Now, I don't like all of it, but I like some of it. But you know, because of that, I have a cousin who has accused me of all kinds of spiritual failings. In fact, they told me they were concerned that I had lost my salvation. Seriously? Really? I'm no longer a Christian because I like Mercy Me and Coldplay. Is that what you're saying? I mean, because I'm a fan of Stephen Curtis Chapman as well as some vintage Led Zepp, I'm not a believer. I'm in some kind of spiritual peril because I like the newsboys and the black keys. Can you see how judgmental and hypocritical such thinking is? How did Christians ever get in the business of trying to legislate and control each other's behavior? Why 
Why did we ever do that? Well, maybe it's because we think that Jesus said something like this. If it's wrong for you, then it has to be wrong for everyone else. If God requires you to do it, then every other Christian has to do it too. If we're not all completely uniform in our beliefs and our practices and behaviors, then someone is out of line. If others aren't acting, worshiping, and believing exactly like you do, they're not good Christians, and they might not be Christians at all. Well, we've got a problem because Jesus never said that. He never said anything close. See, Jesus never set up a standard by, by which all Christians were to be judged. Oh, actually, I'm wrong on that. He did give us a standard. Jesus did give us a sort of a universal Christian standard of behavior. It's called love. It's called loving each other. But tragically, love has given way to judgment. And grace has been replaced by keeping score. And there's, there's too many churches that have become breeding grounds for legalism. But Pastor Scott, what, what is legalism? Well, let me, let me help you get your head around it. If you've ever said or heard, how can they or you or he, or she, or me, uh, called themselves Christians when they fill in the blank, then you've probably been exposed to legalism. A few months ago, we touched on this subject, and we said then that, that legalism is the attitude or the belief that I can establish or improve my standing with God based on what I do. But I, I want to help us plug in a little bit more. I want to expand on that a little. Because today I want us to see that, and you can write this down, legalism is the practice of establishing standards for spiritual performance that go beyond or replace God's Word and expecting ourselves and others to meet them. Okay, let me say that again. I know it's kind of long. Legalism is the practice of establishing standards for spiritual perform, performance that go beyond or replace God's Word and expecting ourselves and others to meet them. Legalism is all focused on works. It's all about what we do. It's the idea that, that we generate a spiritual life based on our behavior, not on who we are becoming in Christ. It puts the responsibility for gauging someone's spiritual progress and spiritual maturity into the hands of people instead of in the hands of God. Legalists are big on rules. They try to make their relationship with God manageable by reducing everything to a list of rules and regulations. It's easier for them to get their head around that. It doesn't require any thought. You just check. If it's on the, 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 the do not list, you don't do it. If it's on the do list, you do. And you don't have to think. You don't have to go any deeper than that in a relationship with God. And then we take the next step. We take the next step from having these rules and regulations for ourselves, right? Make our relationship manageable. Now we want to manage everybody else's relationship by those rules and those regulations. And, and you know what? Doggone it, here's where, we, here's where it catches us. It seems like it would work. 
It just, it, it, it's results-oriented. I mean, isn't that, that's the world we live in, right? Most of us on our jobs, there's some means, some mechanism by which results are measured, right? Our production, our, our productivity, our effectiveness. You know, how, how much uh, we generated in sales. How successful we were at meeting goals and objectives. So it's results-oriented. It's, it's measurable. It's, it's tangible. It seems so practical. I mean, if I do A, then B has to happen, right? No. It's not right. The reality is that legalism sucks the life out of our faith. See, there's no love required to keep a rule. In fact, most of the rules that I have been forced to keep came from people I didn't even respect, much less love. It breeds the mindset that somehow God ought to give us a break. You know, because we're trying so hard and and we're so much better than other Christians. You make an illegal U-turn, you get a ticket. I make one, well, you have to understand it was necessary for me to do it this way. And, you know, you don't really have any business saying anything to me. Here are some common characteristics of legalists. And, And let me say this first. I love legalists. It's legalism I can't stand. Okay? Are, are you tracking with me? I love legalists, because, mainly because I are one. Okay? I'm a recovering legalist. Don't laugh. You are too. And, and most, of my, most of my friends and, and family are, are struggling with legalism in, to some degree. And, and, and I love them, but I hate the legalism that is blinding them to the joy and the freedom and the liberation of following Jesus. Legalists are not bad people. I've never in my life, I've known a lot of legalists. Okay, I've known some legalists that make you look like a rookie. Me too. They're not bad people. They're caught in a bad system. A system that's, that's hurting them. And causing them to, to manifest some characteristics like this. For example, common characteristic of legalists, they can't stand happy Christians. I mean, legalists cannot stand to see people having a good time. This is the Christian faith is serious business. And if you're smiling and laughing and having a good time, you ain't doing it right. Legalists are typically envious of other people, hateful toward other believers. They feel defensive. Legalists don't understand grace, so they can't afford to ever have a bad day. And when they fall, when they do fail, they're not able to own up to it. They're not able to confess it. They have to make excuses and defend themselves. Otherwise, they would have to admit that their system doesn't work, that their best efforts aren't getting them what they hope it will get them. They feel like God owes them something. Legalists think that when they drop their coin in the good works slot, that God has to dispense favor and blessing for them. They're convinced that their their rule-keeping and their hard work has surely merited some special treatment, some special attention from God. 
They want what God can do for them more than they want to be with Him. I've never known a legalist that did not struggle with the intimacy of a true relationship with God. See, that's, that's why they make everything about rules and regulations. It, it stands in, it fills in for, it takes the place of intimacy. See, the, the, the legalist hasn't grasped yet that, that Christianity is not a system of beliefs or behaviors or practices, that it's a love relationship. And, and, they haven't, if, they've, and if they've gotten that far, they haven't grasped that our relationship with God is not an employer-employee relationship. Right? It's not a it's not a master slave relationship. It's not a commander soldier relationship. It's a father and child relationship. And folks, that changes everything. Legalists see God as someone to be appeased, manipulated, so that they can get what they want or what they need from him. They're not grace givers. That's no big surprise, is it? <laughs> that, that Christians who, who live by rule keeping, you know, judge other people by those rules. Legalists can't afford to extend grace to someone who falls. That, that violates the whole rule keeping mindset. If somebody falls, they weren't trying hard enough. If somebody falls, they deserve consequences. Not grace. If somebody falls, well, they made their bed, they have to lie in it. Because a legalist lives by an I can mindset, I can, they struggle with extending grace to those who can't. And they often struggle with secret sin. Some of you are a little young maybe for this, but I lived through the preacher scandals of the late 1980s, mid-late 1980s. You remember that? Do you remember how many of those guys who fell, I mean very, very public scandals and public falls from grace, do you remember how many of them were discovered to be caught up in the very sins that they railed against? See, a rule-keeping lifestyle leads to spiritual dryness. It leads to a lot of pain and discomfort. Legalists can't live up to their own standards, but they have to pretend like they do. They have to, they have to put on a front. They have to put on a show. And that creates a cycle of shame and inner conflict. And because they're looking for a way to medicate that pain and that hurt that's flowing out of their failed, flawed religion, they very often fall into some sort of secret sin. Sometimes it'll be alcoholism or drug addiction, binge eating, a pornography habit, you know, sexual immorality of some other kind. In other cases, it's it's workaholism, or it's controlling other people with anger and rage. Now, let me tell you what I know. 
a lot of us are pretty shocked to see some of ourselves in those descriptions. That's because most of us have a little legalist in us. But there's good news. There's great news for weary rule keepers. See, the Bible tells us the truth, and we can let that truth displace the legalistic lie that we've been believing. Truth like this. Scriptures like Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, that says, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. And Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 36, says, So if I, if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, or chapter 12, verse 6 says, God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. You really ought to read 1 Corinthians 12 sometime. Paul describes the church, Paul describes us Christians as a body, a body with different parts, and different parts have different functions and look differently and, and you know, different levels of, of participation and importance. But it's one body, and it's one God that works in all of us. And then I love Romans 14, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. In verse, beginning in verse 10, Paul says, Why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the Scriptures say, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will confess and give praise to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause one, another believer to stumble and fall. And then Romans chapter 8, verse 1. I don't know, it seems like I come back to this one every couple of weeks. But it's so important. It's the key. I think it's the key, not just to the whole Bible, but to the, to, to the, to the, not just to the gospel, but to the whole Bible. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So now, today, you know, not five years from now when you're a better Christian. Right now. There is no condemnation. None. Zero. Zip. Zilch. Nada. Because we belong to Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel is that God doesn't condemn us. He doesn't condemn us for our past or our present behavior. And if God doesn't condemn us, how can we justify condemning each other? How can we do it? Legalism is a, is a slap in the face to the grace that Jesus died on the cross to give us. It, it undercuts the work of the cross. It reduces the message of Christ to just another, it's all about you. It's all about what you do, religious program. And it's nothing new. It's not a new thing. I mean, according to Acts chapter 15, the, the temptation to impose rules on other Christians was at the root of one of the first disputes in the early church. The early church leaders had to hold a conference in Jerusalem, had to bring in church leaders from all over the known world to decide whether or not Gentile men, that was men who had not been raised up as Jews, if those Gentile men who became Christians, whether or not they had to be circumcised. Now, I would think the vote on that would, you know, be pretty that'd be a pretty easy thing, right? To vote on. But it was a serious question. Because the question really was do they have to become Jews before they can become Christians? 
And if they did, does that mean that they're going to be required to keep other parts of the law, other parts of Moses' law, like not eating certain foods and, and keeping the Sabbath? Well, fortunately for you and me, the Holy Spirit prevailed in that meeting, and the, the, the leaders decided not to require the people to keep the law as part of being a Christian. But listen, some of the most important influential leaders in the church got caught up in legalism. People like Peter and Barnabas. In fact, in a few weeks, later on this summer, we're going to study the book of Galatians. And we're going to see that Paul had to get in Peter's face. Can you imagine that? Paul had to get nose to nose with Peter and call him down publicly because of his legalism. I'll bet that was an intense conversation. But it was a necessary conversation. And it's one that we need to continue to have today. Because the Christian faith, the Christian message has never been about rule keeping. God works in different people in different ways at different times. And you know what? What He leads you to do, do with all your heart. But don't impose that on someone else. What He leads you not to do, abstain from that. Again, with all your heart. But don't force someone else to do what you feel you can't do. I mean, God leads some people to fast. I've got a friend, well, some of you may remember Arthur Fox. He came here and preached for us several years ago. Arthur just routinely goes on 40-day fasts. You know, I sometimes fast for like 40 minutes <laughs> because I'm, just, I'm not called to do that. Arthur feels a conviction that he needs to do that, and so he does it. Others don't feel led that way. Some believers are convicted that drinking any alcohol is wrong. Well, guess what? For them, it is. But there are other sincere, Jesus-loving believers who don't see any problem with having a glass of wine, cold beer in moderation. One group of Christians enjoys loud, energetic, rocking worship. Other Christians they only want to worship with a, an organ and a piano and a hymn book. And then there are some that they don't want any musical instruments at all. God works in different people in different ways at different times. And so here's a principle. Here's, here's a principle that breaks the destructive power of everyone should be like me. Stop judging each other. Stop judging each other. God gives us grace as we live our life and as we, we walk out our faith, and as we walk on in sanctification. And so we need to be giving grace to each other as well. Again from Romans 14, the beginning of the chapter, verses 1 through 3. Romans 14 just nails this down, folks. That's another, you need to read that one as well. It's not in the... It's not in the life group notes, but make yourself a note to read Romans 14 this week a couple times. Paul says, accept other believers who are weak in the faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. We could stop right there, couldn't we? For instance, now he's going to go on and give a for instance. Let me, and let's, let's put this in context. They had an issue in that day of where food, certain types of food, would be sacrificed to the idols, the false gods that, that were prevalent in their culture. 
And there was a whole big argument among Christians about, can we eat that food or not? And some Christians said, well, I, you know, it's good food. I, I can eat it. I'm not worshiping their God. I give thanks to, to the one God, the true God, when I eat this. And others said, oh, no, 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 no. If you're a Christian, you don't have any business eating that food. So there was a dispute. And so that's what Paul is addressing here. Now, we don't have that exact issue, but we got a whole lot of others. Right? So listen to what he says. Pick up here in, um, what, in verse 2. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. You can tell I don't have a sensitive conscience, right? Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. Watch this. For God has accepted them. And who are we to reject someone that God has accepted. It's not about food. Okay? It's about any number of other issues. So how can we learn to extend grace to other people? How can we grow comfortable with other Christians who have a different theology or a different worship style or, or believe differently than we do on certain moral issues? Well, let me give you a few suggestions. Here's the first one. Give others permission to be different. Just give them permission to be different. We're not the only Christ followers in the world. And guess what? We're not the most committed. And our way of loving Jesus is not the only way, and it's not even the best way. And if we don't know that, then our Christian world is way too small. Let's get comfortable with the biblical reality that God has followers all over the world who are different from us. And then we need to remember that God is still working on them and on us. God is still working with them, on them and on us. Philippians 1, chapter 6 says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue His work until it is finally finished, watch this, on the day that Christ Jesus returns. Hey, until Jesus comes back, we're a work in progress. That's what this verse means. It reminds us that salvation is a process and none of us is ever done. None of us is ever perfect and sanctified until we get to heaven. So let's give people some room to iron out their wrinkles. They're not perfect. Neither are we. They're not going to be perfect, and neither are we. And then we need to practice the discipline of confession. Confession is good for the soul, but it's also really good medicine for legalistic tendencies because when we're brutally honest about our own sin, That gets us in the habit of not trying to spot the speck in our brother's eye without dealing with this telephone pole that's protruding from our own. When we understand what's real about ourselves, then we can cut other people some slack. And then we need to know the difference between the gospel and your preferences. Understand the difference between 
gospel and preference. It's good to have strong convictions. It really is. And we need to live our lives according to strong convictions. But not all Bible-believing Christians agree on everything, especially when it comes to what's right or what's wrong. There's a multitude of classic gray areas. Again, things we've already mentioned, right? Things like drinking and dancing and, and music styles and worship styles and, and type of dress and, and makeup for women and, and what's permissible entertainment and what isn't and homeschool versus private school versus public school and, and even political persuasions. And listen, things are not as clear-cut as we think they are or as we want them to be. key is being biblically literate enough to know where the Bible draws clear lines around certain beliefs and behaviors and practices and where it doesn't. And to recognize that God may indeed be convicting us that a certain behavior is wrong for us, but it may not be so open and shut biblically for another believer. Somebody who loves Jesus just as much as we do may not see it the same way. And here's the last one. This is the one that offends people. Keep your mouth shut and pray. That seems harsh, Pastor Scott. Okay. What that means is before we spout off to a person about their behavior, or, or worse, before we spout off to someone else about that person's behavior, pray for them. If we have a problem with another person's, another believer's actions or beliefs, how about we take it to God instead of gossiping about it and talking about it with every other person that we see? I'm not sure where I first read it, but a very wise person said something I agree with 100%. I can't claim any credit for this. just don't remember where it came from. The most dangerous problem in the church is not sin, it's legalism. Legalism kills more congregations and stops more individual spiritual development than sin ever does. And because that's true, it's time for us to get off our high horses. It's time for us to stop trying to control everyone else's behavior. You know, God really is big enough and strong enough to manage all the worship styles and behavioral differences and theological issues that crop up in His church. I, he doesn't need my help. Really, He doesn't. And He doesn't need yours either. Isn't it comforting to know that we can resign from the office of Junior Holy Spirit? I know from firsthand experience just how exhausting legalism can be. Some of the rest of you do too. It's just exhausting. Grace is so much better. But liberty is so much more refreshing. Freedom is so much more joyful. 
So let's give people a break. Let's give ourselves a break. Let's let God be in charge. You know, the kingdom is not going to cave in because other believers act a little differently than we do. Let's take joy in the fact that our names and theirs are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let me say one more thing before I let this go. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says, before I leave you, I want to make sure we're clear on the things that are of first importance. In other words, these are the things that belong in the closed hand. There's no discussion, no negotiation. This is how things are. And what startles us is how few things are in that closed hand. It's basically this, that Jesus came to earth, that he lived, that he died on the cross, that he was buried in the tomb, and that God raised him from the dead. That's the closed hand. He didn't put any other of our pet issues and ideas and beliefs and theologies and practice in that hand. He said, this is it. This is the non-negotiables. This is, this is the ground of our fellowship. Okay, Not what we believe about R-rated movies. That's just one example. Don't, don't get too focused on that one, okay? Paul said, those are the things that are the first importance things I want you to know beyond anything else. And you know what? He said that after he'd written 14 chapters of stuff to them. You know, it's almost like he was saying, hey, all that other stuff, it all comes down to this. This is what's important. This is where we commit. This is where we connect. On the other stuff, let's give each other freedom and liberty. Let's stop judging each other. Let's release our fears and concerns and our jealousies to Jesus. And let's pray, let's pray for God's kingdom to come and His will to be done in the lives of people whose behavior or beliefs or practices concern us. And then let's pray the same thing for ourselves. Let's take on Jesus' yoke, the yoke of grace. It is so much better. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.